It's been a lovely warm summer, but I guess it's about time to come back inside and pop the podcast headphones on. Okay, James, play the updated theme tune. Let's do the podcast, people. Podcasters. You know, I was born in North Dean Colliery. I should have remembered that because my mother used to work for them. I'm Champion League, absolutely fine. She went flying over me, Paul, into Bustelli. Welcome back to the programme, everybody. It's been a lovely summer break. I hope everyone has enjoyed all that sunshine that we had. But the sunshine is, well, starting to fade a little bit now. So I thought I'd come back indoors and start recording some more of the podcast for you. We've got some really cool stories coming up over the next few weeks. I've been down at the Northumberland Archive doing a bit of research for two particular special episodes. One of which is all about the history of the Ashington Coal Company and how it kind of kick-started the town of Ashington and two of the most influential men and their families. And the other special is a really personal special. It's the story of a young man who fought in World War One, and I'm telling it through the letters that he sent home and those that he himself received. It's taken a while to do because I know I've mentioned it a few times on the show, but I really wanted to do the research and try and tell his story in the right way and I think I found a way of doing that so over the next couple of weeks that should be coming out for you to listen to as well and then after those two shows are out we're going to be starting series three and I've spent a bit of time during the summer talking with uh, Neil and Eleanor and Jacqueline mum and dad and a few other people so we've put a big list of topics together of things we want to cover over series three series four and I think we've got series five mapped out as well so a load of shows coming your way with some lovely stories. Before that, what I thought I would do is pull together a clip show for you. So what I'm going to sit down and do is re-listen to some of the podcasts myself and pull out what I think are some of the loveliest stories from Series 1 and Series 2, and I'm going to put them together in two special episodes for you. Consider it um, a way of just getting you back into the show, or a really good one that you can share with other people to say, look, this is the show I've been listening to and this is what it's all about. Without further ado, I am going to pick some Series 1 highlights for this show. So, let's get started. The first story that I've chosen for tonight's show is the very first interview that I recorded with my dad. For this, we're going to go back to Old North Seton Village And if you're brave enough, well, there's some games to play. I'll let Dad explain. The the mine's overflow pipe. Um, There used to be a a deep mine at at North Seton Colliery, uh, which my grandfather uh, worked at as well. And um, it had a pipe that used to pump the water. Obviously, all mines fill up with water occasionally in the seams. And they would pump the water out from the mine. And there was a... A brick-built tunnel would come out into the River Wandsbeck, just down from part of the colliery called Waterside Cottages, just along from there towards the mouth of the Wandsbeck. 
and uh, this this pipe was uh, was definitely big enough for young lads to crawl in. Well, actually, not just crawl, but get in uh, and just bend your head down and actually walk inside this tunnel, effectively a brick-built tunnel. Um, so you could walk underground. So and, what uh, age are we talking when we say young lads? Oh, well, probably that was when we were uh, nine. 9, 10, 11, something like that, yeah. Those ages, really. Okay, and those waterside cottages, do they still exist now, or are they gone? Oh, no, they're gone. They're gone. I mean, you can actually, if you walk down to that part of the Wandsbeck, you know, having lived there, uh, where well, we were down there the other day, you can still pick out where the waterside cottages started, uh, the mm-hmm. little road that took them right down onto the water's edge, as they were called, waterside cottages. There were small boat jetties down there, uh, wooden boat jetties, and, and there's more stories I could tell you about those as well. Um, <laughs> but but just along from there, along from the cottages, was this mines outflow pipe basically, and um, you could walk down through past waterside cottages along the river, and uh, come to this brick-built tunnel. And um, <laughs> what we used to do was kind of dare each other. And, uh, and and before I go too much further, I should say it was probably a pretty silly thing to do. But at the time, we were taking what we called calculated risks, and we would <laughs> we would go inside the tunnel with a torch, um, and we would actually two or three of us would go up into the tunnel. And as you got so far in, and and you know, uh, it felt like a, an absolute long distance. But it probably was no more than, I don't know, 40 yards or something like that. That maybe is even less than that, to be truth known. Um, but but as as lads, you know, you kind of build the story up a little bit. But the truth was, mm-hmm. we used to wait and you could hear when the sluice gates that opened and they would allow water to flow out. So when you heard the sluice gates, you'd get as close as you could. And when you heard the sluice gates, that was yeah signal to get out of the tunnel as quick as you could. The, the tunnel was never going to be a deluge of water completely filling the tunnel, but it'd certainly be enough to come up past your knees and, and be quite fast flowing. So yeah, that was one of the things that we used to do, to see how far you could get before the sluice gates opened. And having lived there a few years, you, you kind of got to know roughly the time of day um, what schedule it was for when the sluice gates were going to open. So you'd try and time it. And this was before watches and things like that. We didn't used to carry watches. We just roughly knew what time of day it was when we'd gone out to play. (laughs) So then it was like, who could get out the pipe the quickest and uh, still get wet feet, but, you you know, you weren't going to get flushed off the pipe, through the pipe, if you know what I mean. It was never that that bad. But you'd get wet feet. Right then. From Old North Seton to the Colliery Rose. Do you remember laying out the fire on a cold early morning in the days before radiators? My mum does, and here's a clip from her first interview talking to me about just what those cold mornings were like down the colliery rows in the late 50s and early 60s. Enjoy. It was blubbing cold. I can remember very, very cold. Yeah, Grandma he used to get up very early in the morning and put the fire on. She would have to go and get the uh, sticks which Grandad had chopped and um, lay the fire and light it. I was very, very lucky in the fact that by the time I came into the living room, there was a fire on. 
but that was it for the whole house. So I was no. just going to say, there's no. We're not talking central heating. We're not talking no. a fire that heats radiators in uh, other rooms. Oh no, nothing like that. You had to wait until the fire, sort of what we call, bleezed up, and then you would have to put some more coal on and wait till that settles, and then you would eventually get a bit heat. But when you woke up, it was nothing to see the windows heavily frosted on the inside. And you would have been in bed probably. Some would have had a hat on. I can remember sometimes going to bed and putting a hat on because the bedroom was so cold. In the early, late 50s, early 60s, I was in the same bedroom as my mum and dad for, um, for a long time. So it was it was pretty cold, let's put it that way. And you would try and get dressed basically under the bedclothes if you, if your mother would let you get away with it. So um, whereabouts whereabouts are we talking in a house like that? So just to try and give people a picture. Well, of we had, when my parents emigrated to Australia after the war. They were £10 poms. The government had a voucher where if you wanted to emigrate. However, they didn't settle. After about six years, they came back. We lived in with my grandmother first for a few weeks. And then we eventually got a one bedroom flat and it was one bedroom one communal room which had the kitchen table in the sofa everything like that and a scullery with no hot water so and just that, for somebody of my age what the heck is a scullery a scullery is basically almost like a big cupboard and that was where your hot water was your little kitchen stove and sometimes the hot plates were separate and that was it the toilet was at the bottom of the yard that was so whereabouts, whereabouts this was down this? hawthorne road wow. in what yeah would it be 1959 maybe we moved there i would think um and i was in the same bedroom as my parents so yes we had no hot water i remember at first we had no hot water um, everything was boiled. There was a big old-fashioned range in the living room, which was a big black-leaded thing where there was an oven on the side and you heated the, the kettle on and everything on that. So that basically warmed the whole house up. Well, I count myself very lucky that I can just flick the heating on any time I want to. Okay. Do you remember Humphrey's Hardware Shop on the main street? Neil King certainly does. He has a lovely interview that I did with Neil about the almost magical hardware emporium that was the DIY store. One of my memories, and every time I watch the sketch of uh, the two Ronnies, the four candles sketch, always puts me in mind of Humphreys. Now, Humphreys was on Station Road where probably the Newcastle Building Society is now. Now, Humphreys was your four-candle shop. He sold everything. He was a hardware shop. Everything I remember was in little drawers. Nails, screws, everything. You could just, you could get everything in the shop from seeds for your garden to hammers, saws, saw blades. It was just unbelievable. He had a long counter 
in the front. So as you walk through the door, the counter was to your left, just like the four candle sketch. And I remember Mr. Humphrey used to he used to stand behind behind the counter. He had white hair, a white beard and moustache, and a red oh sorry, Paul, that's Santa Claus I'm thinking of. Um he used to wear a leather apron with pockets down the front. Unlike uh, unlike the two Ronnie sketch where he wore a brown coat, he used to wear a leather apron. And goodness knows what he kept in this leather apron, but whatever you wanted, he seemed to be able to produce from it, like a bit like Paul Daniels. Now, those were the days when you went in and you could ask advice because the guy, I think, was quite knowledgeable in the way of joinery, metalwork, etc. And you could go in, and in them days, you didn't have to buy six nails in a plastic packet. Because now, if you go to Maxwell's, as you know, you might want ten nails, but they come in packs of six. So you've always got two nails left over. Well, what do you do with two nails? You either put them in a jar somewhere or throw them away. Well, at Humphreys, you knew how many nails you wanted, sort of, so you could ask them. And actually, you could buy nails by weight. You could ask for a pound of nails, a half a pound of nails. That, oh, of course, your listeners might not know what a pound is, Paul. Um, a pound's, uh, ooh, let's see, 16 ounces, which is still no benefit to your uh, listeners who um, who now work in kilos. Uh, anyway, a bag of sugar is a kilo, so I don't know what that is. I'm, I'm digressing here anyway, Paul, as I tend to do, as you know. Um, yeah, so you could buy your nails by weight. You could ask for a half a pound of nails or whatever. But oh yes, if you just wanted two nails, you could say, uh, "Can I have two nails?" And you would say, "Well, how long do you want them?" And I'd say, "Well, I want to keep them." That's by way of being a joke, listeners. Uh, not a very good one, admittedly, but it is a joke. But that's my remembrance of Humphreys. Ah, you know I love a story told by Neil. Now, I'm going to let my dad explain this one to you. This is bin-lid cricket games that kids used to play down the lanes. And Gary, if you're listening, here's a flashback for you. It was basically playing cricket in the street. So, yes, we sometimes used to go and play cricket properly on, on, the, on the grass and uh, have proper wickets and whatever. But when you, when you weren't on the grass, most of the time... And, when we were kids, we'd play cricket in the street. And um, when we moved from the old North Seaton Colliery to, to the, the village, uh, North Seaton Village, down along where the estate is, past the Northern Club and things like that, that's where we moved to when we were uh, teenagers. Um, we used to set two bin lids up. So we'd take the uh, metal bin lids off, um, off somebody's bin or usually our, our own parents' bins. We didn't, we didn't go and nick people's bins, you know, with bin lids. We used to use our own parents' bins. But we used to push things up behind them to keep them up. And the idea was that the uh, the bin lid was your, was your wicket. And um, one of my friends, uh, a, guy called Gary, a lad called Gary Morty, even from a young age, Gary was a very, very fast bowler. And uh, when we were early teenagers, we used to play cricket with the bin lids with a proper... Um, cricket, what we call the corker ball, so quite a solid hard ball. And uh, when Gary used to bowl the ball at you, if, if it came off the 
the road and hit you in the shin or the leg, I tell you what, it certainly used to sting. So before any of us could afford um, proper cricket pads, what we used to do was we used to get a hold of corrugated cardboard and some string <laughs> and, and, and put fashion um, very cheap um, cricket pads for your shins from below the knee, basically. And uh, that was the idea was you can try and avoid some bruises on the shins. Um, but, I mean, it was great fun. And, and, and the only thing was, obviously, you're, you're using bin lids in the middle of a road. And although there was very little traffic, when somebody did come round to want to get to their house or to their garages, uh, the cricket had to stop for the traffic. So we just used to move the bin lids onto the path, let people pass, and then put the bin lids back into the road again. Well, from cricket to somewhere you find crickets. That's a terrible segue. I've snuck in a clip from series two here. This is from one of our allotment episodes, and this is Eleanor. Hello there. How are we? How are we? How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. How are you both after your um, energetic morning? Exhausted. Oh, bless us. <laughs> oh, dear I'm me. I'm pleased we haven't got the allotment to sort out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness me. Yes, well, speaking of which, um, so you, uh, what stories from down on the allotment do you have to share with our listeners? Right. Well, my dad had an allotment on Green Lane. Just as you come over the crossing. Oh, right, yeah, just over the railway tracks. Yes. Um, so he used to go there, and I used to enjoy going when I had time after school and things like that. Um, he kept uh, pigeons, which he didn't raise. Just let them fly around. And uh, he well, enjoyed watching them. Well, that's because he couldn't fly anyway. <laughs> oh dear me um, We also had chickens Oh right Yes And uh, was that was that for eggs Or was that for you It know... was for eggs and For eating at the, the Dinner table Oh right Yes Now I was a silly little girl And I named one of them Oh, called dear. Betsy, which I still remember. <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, eventually, she did come to the table, oh. which, I, which I was most upset about. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> but never mind. I used to enjoy collecting the eggs, and uh, she, Betsy was very friendly out of all the chickens we had. Uh, she used to sit on my shoulder. Oh. Uh, yes. And I used to give her a cuddle. Uh, it was really nice. She was that good. She actually threw herself in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> Dear me. Oh, no. Um, and then uh, we had some rabbits, but they were more pets. Oh, thank goodness. But, <laughs> yes, but... I had a couple of rabbits, uh, which there again, I could um, go down and look after them, uh, my brother as well. 
and we used to cuddle, well, I used to cuddle them. He didn't uh, sort of bother that much about them because he was three years older than me. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, it was lovely. Um, unfortunately, the one of them got killed because there was, obviously, when you're in allotments and food's being thrown down, you know, seeds and things, uh, a rat had gotten into the hutch. Oh, dear. Yes. Uh-huh. So one of them died. But well, well, my dad got, got one other one eventually. So that, that you know, made yeah. And so did your dad have the garden for, for growing things as well? Was he growing veg yes, and stuff? He, he had veg. Uh, he did these potatoes, carrots, uh, lettuce, uh Brussels, uh, cabbage, cauliflower. He did most of the vegetables, what you you eat for your dinners, which was nice. Uh, Broad beans. Um, So we're well well fed from the uh, allotment, really. And so was that, and and when, when did he start allotmenting, do you know? Oh, well, we moved to Rosneath Court when I was about seven, so I think he probably would have had it when he, when I was seven, um, possibly a bit younger, um, and he had it all the way through till. Oh, so, well, so, so you're now seventy. Well, no, <laughs> so that was um, sixty-three years. So he must have had it when he was in his. 20s, late 20s. My dad? Yes. No, he wasn't. He was born in 24, dear. No, late 20s. When he was in his late 20s. Not 1920. <laughs> well, I was born in 50, so it was 57. He was born in 24. So he's 30s, early 30s. Then. The early 30s. I Not 20s, dear. Well, late twenties is nearly early. <laughs> it's close enough. It's close enough. It Neil. I'll it give you is, that. He's, he's mixing us up. <laughs> Stop confusing and, things, Neil. Um, <laughs> and he must have had it till oh my late teens anyway, and right. then we moved. And then we moved um, further away from uh, Green Lane, and uh, he gave it up then. Ah, but tell him about the flowers he used to like to. Well, the grow. the only two flowers that he ever grew was uh, hyacinths and October daisies. Oh. Uh, yes, they mu- they must have been the ones what my mum liked. So that that was what what he grew. So there was always bunches of either uh, the October daisies, which were either purple or pink. Mm. Um. And uh, the hyacinths, uh, there was a couple of different colours with those, but uh, very nice. Oh, lovely! And did he have yeah. a green greenhouse and a shed on his allotment? Um, he, yes, we had some tomatoes. Yes, so he, ah, okay. so he, he had definitely had the uh, the greenhouse. Yes, um, so we had uh, well, obviously the tomatoes and um. I'm trying to think if he did anything else in there. I can definitely remember the tomatoes, but yeah. 
Yeah, well, I suppose, I mean, I, I think about what dad grows in his greenhouse now, and I think things like courgettes and stuff, and I don't really know if they would have been growing them back then. Uh, definitely no. tomatoes, but I don't think they'd have been quite as adventurous as, you know, him tries peppers and things now, does Yeah. My dad, so. um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think that was about it, yes. Super. Do you want me to talk, to talk now, Paul? Yes. Oh, go on, Neil. Go on. You're itching. You're itching. <laughs> how can you tell? How can you tell that on the, on the <laughs> video? <laughs> well, actually, I haven't got much to tell about um, about allotments because my dad didn't have one. All oh, right. He was a fisherman. He his hobby was fishing, not allotments. However, me pop. My granddad, my granddad Alkin, he had an allotment at Woodhorn. Oh, okay. So whereabouts would that have been then, Neil? That was behind. Well, actually, the allotments are still there. They're just off the relief road between the relief road and Woodhorn Road. Oh, okay. So right, the, yes, I see what you mean. So the ones. So are we talking about the roundabout down to the hospital? That's right. Right, okay, and the road that then goes towards the leisure centre or goes in towards town. That's right. right. Me, me pops was just behind what is now the Hurst Castle pub. Oh, all right. You went, you went there was a, a road down there, about down the side of the Hurst Castle, and you went down there, and that's where me pops allotment was. I suspect he wasn't really that good a gardener, he used to just go, I remember, he had a little shed and attached to the shed was a little bit of a greenhouse. So you walked through the shed into the greenhouse. He had, mm. a, lovely, he had a lovely veranda running off the shed with a lovely bench. Mm. And, and if memory serves, Pop used to spend most of his allotment time not digging, but just sitting on the bench watching the weeds grow, smoking his pipe. <laughs> so that leads me on to my question, the deal, which was, um, so was this more of a respite area for him, do you think? Uh, definitely. <laughs> I think a lot of the chaps used to go there just for the crack, as opposed to the um, the growing of vegetables, etc. My pop actually kept a pig. Oh, a pig. As, as did a lot of allotment holders. A lot of them kept kept a pig in the allotment. Um, now, a little tear. I mean, Pop was very fond of this pig. And one Christmas, my nana said, Pop, we need pork for Christmas dinner. Well, of course, me Pop didn't, he didn't want to kill the pig. But anyway, oh. he anyway, he turned up, we had a leg of pork for our Christmas dinner. And the next time I went to the allotment, here was the pig. Three-legged, because you didn't, because you didn't want to put it down. So I had a three-legged pig in the allotment. <laughs> Dear God. And, and here's another thing which your podcasters oh, no. might find interesting, Paul. Mm -hmm. Right now, the northeast of England is the only place where your marrow can win a league show. <laughs> That was. A... <laughs> oh man! 
So you have to be you have to be from the northeast to get that. Yes, yes. I'll be thinking, what's Kingy talking about? Your Mara can win a league show, but no mind. I'm sure they'll get the gist when they when they think about it. The will. A lot of the um, a lot of the allotment growers did take part in league shows, which were a big thing then. I remember. I remember you, they had um, some of the clubs had like the the comrades and the northern. They were big, big competitions to go into, and you could win a washing machine. Oh, hey! I mean, there were a washing machine was a serious prize to win in them days, and the competition was fierce. You could get your leaks slashed, you know, if you weren't weren't keeping an eye on them. A lot of blokes used to live live in the in the greenhouse down on the allotments all night. In the run-up to a leak show. Oh, in gosh. the run-up to the leak show. Because, ooh, well, that's not worse, Paul, as you know. Well, getting yes. Your leak, getting your leak slashed. Well, you wouldn't want that, no. Oh, well, God. no, you wouldn't. It, 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 it's brought tears to my eyes a few days, I'll tell you. <laughs> So that was I heard Eleanor there was was she saying her dad grew them just for for eating or did he grow them to enter them in the shows? No, my dad just bought uh, grew leeks for um, eating. All right, everything he grew was for eating, really. Me mate, me mate, when I was working, he had uh, he had an allotment at Newbigin, and he used he used he was a keen a keen leek grower. And, and had a lot of competitions. He's a judge now. If, oh, you're, right. listening, if you're listening, Ronnie, it's all about you this bit. And uh, <laughs> when when we're on night shift, that new begin allotments was the best patrolled allotments in the whole <laughs> of the northeast. <laughs> when it was leak time. <laughs> when it was leak time, we used to, Ronnie would say. We best just check the allotments. I says we just checked them two hours ago. I will. <laughs> the leak slashers will be out. <laughs> Dear me. Hey, hey. Of course, you had uh, you had people growing uh, the largest carrots or the longest carrots, uh, the biggest tomatoes and all this. So you know, about twenty five, thirty years ago, the northeast produced some marvelous veg growers. I mean, I think now they just go on about, you know, the biggest pumpkin. Uh, Well, Well, when the clubs were in the heyday here, there was some fabulous veg produced, as well as as well as flowers, some fabulous veg produced for the uh, for the club shows. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, like you say as well, you know, those clubs are. Well, a dying breed now as well, you know, and the community that was involved in them is just vanishing. And yeah, it's a, it's a big change in that sense, isn't it? You Like you say, there was so much went on and, and it was a whole community. The whole community was aware of when those shows were on because they were a big deal in your family, you know? Well, um, that's right. Yeah. And of course, the, um, the NCB, the National Coal Board, did their utmost to help um, the allotment growers because uh, clearly they supplied roofing materials for just about every hut <laughs> was, was supplied by the NCB uh, at the time. Black and white check. <laughs> yeah, they were, uh, they were white with a black 
with black lines, black squares. They were, oh, yes, the, the National Coal Board supported the... Um, <laughs> the the allotment holders very well. So what was what was that then? What was that coming from, Neil? For people who might not know. Sorry, sorry, Paul, say that again. Sorry, for people who might not know that reference. What what is that we're talking about on the roofs? Yes, it was um, like oil. plastic, like plastic. oil. It was like oil cloth. It was plastic, very very durable, very expensive. I've no doubt. Mm. <laughs> um, because it's survived for years. If you go to the allotments now and look, you'll still see that a lot of them, I think they did change the colour at one time, but you can just look and you think, mm, yeah, NCB. <laughs> <laughs> as well as as well as well um, axe handles, screws, nails. Yeah, yeah. The, the NCB really did support Allotment holders very, very well. Whether, but whether they knew the it or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. So, oh, unfortunately, uh, that's about as much as I can contribute to it. Hey, Neil, that's fantastic. We've got nearly 15 minutes there. That's wonderful. 15 <laughs> minutes of absolute tripe. <laughs> Oh dear. Oh, it's like giving somebody one line and somehow they managed to stretch it out. Paul, I don't know how anybody could possibly do that. <laughs> uh, well, oh yes, you do. Oh yes, we do. <laughs> well, thank you very much, both of you. You can now fall asleep on the sofa in front of the TV. As if, as if very, we would. Very good. I certainly probably will. I bet. <laughs> thank you, All right. Paul. Take Goodbye. care. Thank you. Goodbye, Bye. podcasters. <laughs> I'm speaking to you soon. Bye. Do you remember how grown up you felt when you put your school uniform on and you went off to big school? Jacqueline certainly does. He has a clip from one of the episodes from Series 1 when we talked about school stories. And let me see you now. Going on to the Hurst East School when I was 11, that was completely different. Uh, we felt really growing up, plus we had a school uniform as well. And if you didn't have the proper school uniform, you had to bring a letter from your mum asking why you didn't have your black shoes on, you didn't have your tie on, um, otherwise you got into trouble. Oh, can you can you remember what the colours were of your uniform back then? Yes, I can. It was a navy cardigan or jumper, navy skirt, and we had a red and white strippy shirt, and the tie was red and green stripes. Oh. And we were put into different houses. Mine was Linda's phone, where we had to wear a navy blue badge. I believe Bambrook was a red badge, uh, Otterburn green, and Bambrook was red. And of course, when we had sports day and sort of competed against one another, you sort of competed to keep your house top of the league if you yeah, could. Yeah. You know, probably yeah. they still do the same. Paul, nowadays I, I'm not sure. Well, actually, it's funny how systems kind of fell out of favour for a while. Um, right. But there's a lot, and there's there's been a lot of the last. I don't know. Um, uh, well, let me think now. Of course, this is going to make me feel old in schools. But between <laughs> in the last ten years in education, there's a lot more schools have kind of realised that there was a real um, 
importance for team yeah. spirit and things of those. And so a lot of places have brought them back. Well, I think it, yeah. it was. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the best places that have brought them back have done what you're talking about and what I remember from Hurst Park, where it's named after local things. So in my day, it was yes. the, the rivers, the Tweed, the Allen, um, Corkett, I think I remember at school. Um, the worst ones I hear is where they literally just re- name their houses after the ones in Harry Potter. Um, oh right, I yeah. wanted to know that. No, yeah. no, completely new to me. That, but it was friendly competition as well. Yeah, yeah, it's important for yeah. kids to learn that. Yeah, even if you didn't do very well, you felt as if you were taking part in something worthwhile, and your house colours and that meant meant a lot to you then, especially at that age. You know what's lovely about recording all these episodes is talking to people either in person or over the phone and being able to see or hear the smile on their face when they turn the clock back and share memories. It's lovely. And Jacqueline, I can always tell, is smiling when she's talking to me. It's fantastic. Now, before I end tonight's clip show, what I'm going to do is take two clips from the two special episodes that I recorded at the end of Series 1. Now, the first episode was all about the Ashington pantomimes, and that was an interview with Neil and Eleanor. And the second episode was all about the Boys' Brigade, which my dad was part of. So, what follows? Two clips from those. Buttons, or as he was known in Clingarella, zips, <laughs> was played. I just couldn't believe it. It was he was played by Larry Haggerty, who at the time was 72. <laughs> a spry 72, surely. <laughs> yeah. Not so spry, actually. But I thought, Buttons, the young... <laughs> <laughs> buttons at 72. <laughs> the, the young hero <laughs> is 72. And I thought, he's got to be the oldest zips or buttons ever in a pantomime. <laughs> However, I did. I joined, I joined the troupe. <laughs> And and we put on Clinkerella. Uh, I remember I was an ugly sister with Jimmy Slowey. Now, his daughter, Heather, is still in my panther group now, although unfortunately Jimmy and his wife died. Um, I remember one of the um, one of the lady actresses, um, Mrs. Drysdale, could never remember any of her words. <laughs> she just had walk on parts so I said right what we'll do is if you carry a basket on with you we can put your words in the basket and you can just look at your basket and then just say your words however what Isabel didn't realise was that I changed the words every night <laughs> <laughs> And the words had absolutely nothing to do with what was going on on the stage at the time. However, Isabel just looked at the words and said them. Oh, bless. <laughs> and for the duration of the panel, she never actually realised that every night she was saying different <laughs> words. That meant nothing <laughs> in the panel. So the whole idea is a bit of bit of discipline. Mm. We used to learn that as a group, as a team, and we used to do uh, badge work. So you know, there's a whole host of badges that you could 
you could actually put your go and do. I mean, in a, same as you had in in the the scouts in a way. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Arts and crafts hobbies. I was camping, canoeing, Christian education, communications, expedition, and this was communications before um, mobile phones, by the way. So it was like <laughs> real proper communication, talking to people. Um, expedition badges, first aid badges, naturalists, physical activities, safety. All sorts, sailing, presidents and queens badges were the ultimate to, to work towards. Um, so, you know, I in in the boys' brigade, I, I managed to get a number of those badges, and in fact, the first aid badge at North Seaton Colliery. My dad was in the St John's Ambulance Brigade, your granddad, and he used to come along uh, with one of his friends, and they used to take us for the first aid badges for um, for our awards. <laughs> And certificate for first aid is is signed by my dad as well as well as Mister Dunn, you know. So, you know, but um, yeah. So uh, to be honest, there were there were lots of activities that you could do, and then Friday nights tended to be the more the games nights, where you know in the summer would be outside in the fields at North Seaton, or would be in the hall on a winter's night, and the hall was big enough to to play all sorts of different games in there and. Uh, uh, and that that was really good because it was kind of more sporty type night, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, the thing is, you know, there'd be loads of lads, you know, who people who go on to the North Seaton remembered or or even like you know I shouldn't remember. There'd be lots of people on there, like lads and lasses, really, who will have had an association. I would have thought with the boys' brigade or girls' brigade over the years. Um, so it would be really interesting when this goes out to see what response you get because there were lots and lots of people who uh, were part of that to be honest I hope you have enjoyed listening to all of those stories in tonight's episode I've I've pulled together like I said the, the stories that I can remember recording that I thought were really interesting and, and really informative and just nice to listen to so I hope you have enjoyed hearing everything from those dangerous adventures down in North Seating to the cold mornings down the Colliery Rose and then the clips from our special episodes, Pantomimes and uh, the Boys Brigade. If this is the first time you've listened, then I hope that's, you know, whet your appetite for more and you want to go back and explore the 20 plus episodes we've already released. They're all free. They're all available on the internet. You can listen to them via the website, which is anchor.fm forward slash voices from the northeast and you can share that with your friends dead easy just copy the link from the top of your web page and email it and text message it to everybody you know um, and if you already listen to podcasts through things like the apple podcast app or spotify you can search for us voices from the northeast there and you can press the subscribe or follow button and you'll get every single episode as it comes out and series three is just around the corner in September, so you'll have another 10-episode series coming very, very soon. Thank you, as always and always and always, to our regular listeners, the people who have been listening now, you know, since almost the very beginning. It's wonderful. I really appreciate when you listen to episodes and then leave comments on the Facebook pages when I've posted them. It's lovely to get that feedback. Thank you very much. Right, I am going to go and get out and enjoy this tiny little bit of sunshine that seems to have poked its head out of a cloud. I hope you do the same. Stay safe and well, everybody, and I'll speak to you again very soon. Bye.